Hello and welcome back to the Bitcoin Cash podcast. Following Bitcoin Cash on its rise to global reserve currency, today is Sunday, the 4th of April, 2021. It's Easter, Easter Sunday. <laughs> Happy Easter to everybody. Hopefully, uh, chowing down on some chocolate. Uh, and this is episode 12 the censoredkim.com BCH versus BTC debate commentary. So, for this episode, I thought I'd try something different. There's uh, no guest, another no guest uh, episode, but instead, we're going to be doing a review of this other. Uh, audio clip interview that was about an hour long. Uh, so this might actually be quite a long episode. Uh, if there's me uh, commenting on, on this uh, full one hour, but I thought, look, let's just do the whole thing. Uh, it's a really good uh, clip. We're going to get into that. A uh, really good piece of content. Uh, and I think probably the whole thing uh, justifies some, some analysis. So this might be a long episode, strap yourself in, but I think it will be a very uh, informative uh, one. So uh, that's part of the mantra of this podcast is to have de- detailed analysis and not just sort of skimming over the uh, surface. So hopefully, you know, everybody can enjoy that. Right. So first up today, uh, just quickly before we get into all of that, we have a money supply update. So I have here a graph of the M1 uh, money supply which is, I'm not even sure whether it's the, maybe it's M0 that's all the cash and stuff uh, in savings accounts or M1 money, you know, there's different ways of calculating money, right? But basically, uh, you know, whether you include loans and so on and so forth, right? But essentially what we have here is a graph of (laughs) money supply of United States dollars, which has slowly been increasing uh between you know 1968 uh to the early 90s 1992 and then it sort of picked up a bit of steam there from being about uh one trillion dollars i believe this is in uh billions here yeah um so uh, it was about one trillion dollars in the early uh 90s and then it sort of started increasing more and more at about 2000 and uh, eight levels, obviously, with the global financial crisis, uh, probably had something to do with that. Uh, and then from there, it, between 2008 and 2020, it went up to about um, $4 trillion, because I believe this is in uh, billion, so this is 5,000 billion, right? Yeah, that would be right. So between, so it was one, it got to one trillion between 1968 and 2008, and then it went to four trillion uh, between 2007-2008-ish era and 2020, and then in 2021, it has gone from four trillion to more than 18 trillion. So it's essentially just a straight line up this graph uh, for the audio listeners where the m1 uh, money supply again i don't know whether this is um whether this is uh cash on accounts or well i guess let's just google it and find out but uh let's see what it says here money supply okay da, 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 da. 
M1 consists of currency outside the US Treasury, Federal Reserve Banks, and the vaults of depository instruments. Oh, wait a second. Here, here's where the Federal Reserve, they changed their definition of M1 uh, money, which is quite suspicious. But okay, so M1 is the money supply that is composed of physical currency and coins, demand deposits, travelers' checks, other checkable deposits, and negotiable order of withdrawal accounts. M1 includes the most liquid portions of the money supply because it contains currency and assets that are either are or can be quickly converted to cash. However, near money, uh, M2 and M3 cannot be converted to currency as quickly. Right, so if we're just taking you know, the very simple measure of uh, all the money in circulation in terms of US dollars, 4 trillion to 18 trillion in, this, in the last year, <laughs> essentially. So... If the money supply has gone up 4x, then even though it doesn't work this way immediately because it takes time for money to circulate in the economy and because, you know, banks might just be holding onto it and not spending it and so on and so forth, then you would think the value of most of your money had dropped to one quarter of any US dollars you had in that time, just supply and demand, right? So the world is just in an absolute monetary crisis, economically speaking, right? This is not normal this is like one of those hyperinflation graphs you see okay maybe for different reasons it's not happening right now that you go to the shop and you know the cost of something has um gone up 4x in one year but you know we we might <laughs> that might be coming it might be on the way if this graph just keeps going up at this literally straight line up um right so fiat currencies falling apart as per usual, but uh, let's check in on cryptocurrencies. So Bitcoin Cash now at uh, 561 US uh, dollars and uh, one BTC Bitcoin can now buy 103 Bitcoin Cash. So Bitcoin Cash having a bit of a good week in terms of uh, gains against um, Bitcoin, but it is also a bit down. It's number 14 on the coin market cap because a lot of these other coins have been uh, rising up uh, recently, getting a lot of hype, so on and so forth, you know. Right, so the transactions that we check in on every week, the gap between uh, BTC and BCH, or BCH and BTC really, because BCH is on top, is sort of slowly, slowly just growing each time we check in on it every week. The two coins do track each other a little bit. Uh, they tend to both go down on a day where maybe there wasn't much global economic activity happening, like on a Sunday or something, and then, you know, sort of rise together. But just bit by bit, the gap is uh, is opening up that Bitcoin Cash is doing more and more transactions. And the cent USD uh, is also just slowly, slowly closing, where yesterday it was uh, Bitcoin Cash did about $7 billion. Uh, in total value sent around on the network, while Bitcoin, which was uh, on a, a little bit of a dip, did 21 billion. So it's a one third of the value was sent on Bitcoin Cash uh, as to BTC. And when you think about it like that, with the price being 103 to one, uh, I mean, that's not great news necessarily for BTC in my opinion. Um, because yeah, that 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 gap it's 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 rapidly closing. Um, you know, today yesterday it was, uh, you know, a few days back or in the past it's been a hundred to one and ten to one. Now it's getting towards three to one. 
sooner or later it's going to be one to one uh, and then uh, Bitcoin Cash is obviously going to surpass BTC if this if this trend continues, which I think it will. But uh, you know, so these are just some important stats. Transactions now higher, one third uh, of cent USD. Pretty, you know, con consist. Yesterday it was one third, but Bitcoin Cash has been uh, very consistent uh, and growing even a little bit. Uh, as to its cent value, so if Bitcoin dips off at all, relatively Bitcoin Cash is is getting closer and closer. I also found uh, so there's these stats from BitPay, who are one of the largest uh, transaction processes for merchants that are, are selling things in in cryptocurrency, and they want an easy way to accept them or convert them to different currencies or whatever. And so in September they had this uh, graph showing uh, the distribution of uh, what cryptocurrencies we use to pay those invoices, right, from all their customers across all their merchants. So in September of 2020, Bitcoin Cash was about four uh, percent of the uh, coins used to used to pay, and uh, Bitcoin was by far and away the biggest, right? It was more than like 80 or 85 percent, and then. Now, uh, this, well, the stats for February, so they haven't released the March stats yet, but I would expect them to be even better. But in the February stats, Bitcoin Cash is now up to 12%. Uh, it's taken, yeah, some uh, share away from Ripple and some share away from Bitcoin, and it's, it's grown, you know, 3x in those five months in terms of actual payments uh, to merchants. So it's now the second most popular after Bitcoin, and, and this makes sense, right, that it would be stealing sort of market share away from Bitcoin. Not only because I think the Bitcoin uh, volume is perhaps decreasing, this graph doesn't show that, but that's uh, one thing that I've heard. Um, the total volume is, is decreasing because it's so expensive and hard to use, but also because the users who are the most affected by high fees, uh, which is, you know, essentially the problem on Bitcoin, have are the most affected uh, by like the ones who actually want to spend and use the coins, they're going to notice the fees. It's going to be a very acute pain point for them. Whereas people who want to invest and sit on it for a 10-year time frame or a five-year time frame, they don't actually trade in it. They're not buying food or you know, paying their rent or whatever uh, in it. Those They're probably not as concerned. If the fees go up and up, well, you know, they're not moving them anyway, so it doesn't occur to them that this is a big issue. But the ones who are actually trading, they notice because they pay that cost every single time. And so it makes sense that more and more of them would be switching from uh, today's fees, uh, average fee on Bitcoin or yesterday's was about $17. And on Bitcoin Cash, it's still, I think it's one-tenth of a cent or lower. So obviously, if you've got the two options, pay $17 or pay one-tenth of a cent, uh, if you're making any kind of regular payments, you're going to start switching over to Bitcoin Cash. And that will be what you know we will see more of, I think. Uh, we'll check in again on these stats in uh, a couple of months. So it would be interesting to see when the, the March numbers um, get released as to, as to what happens. But that's another good sign for Bitcoin Cash there. Right, and something else uh, which is quite unrelated to that earlier stuff, but Paris Hilton has updated her... Uh, Twitter photo um, with there's this sort of meme in the BTC community which is hashtag laser ray I think it's laser hashtag laser ray to 100k 
which is that all these Bitcoin supporters have modified their profile pictures of their face with this sort of, uh, I don't know, like uh, cultish looking uh, laser eye uh, filter or something like that. Uh, Paris Hilton is obviously on the Bitcoin hype train because she's done that. And I watched a little bit of uh, some of her content and it does seem that, you know, I think she's very involved in cryptocurrency. She didn't, you know, knew a lot about NFTs and obviously she's a smart um, and very prominent entrepreneur and um, what do you call it, like a social media influencer. So I think it's, you know, it's great to see that in the cryptocurrency is, is really starting to go mainstream at this point and, and big influencers are, are getting into it, um, you know, and not, you know, sort of the hardcore crowd from 10 years ago, or whatever, who got really into it, like, uh, but just the, the general public and profile people. And I just think it's very funny that this, you know, laser ray to 100k is the sort of meme or the joke in the in the Bitcoin uh, community, because it's just so price focused, right? It really plays nicely together with the whole speculation and our price is going up, you know, it's not focused on adoption or it's, I mean, they're not generally looking at these stats that I was just talking about of the cent USD going up for Bitcoin Cash and more people are using Bitcoin Cash and the number of transactions is going up and the BitPay stuff, right? Those things are not necessarily on the minds of Bitcoin investors because the main thing they're focused on is their price uh, relative to US dollars. And that seems to be the main thing they uh, care about, which in the long run may not be the best strategy. We'll see. So the big news and the center of this uh, episode is this week there was uh, a debate on Clubhouse, which is this I guess iPhone app, I've never uh, used it or, or been on it, uh, where Kim, Kim.com went on to debate, uh, you know, representing Bitcoin Cash. He went on to debate uh, a bunch of Bitcoin BTC supporters about BCH versus BTC. Uh, for people who don't know him, Kim.com is the founder of Mega Upload, and uh, which in the 2000s was this huge file sharing service. Uh, and it, I think he said somewhere in this stream that it was so, or maybe I read it somewhere else that at a certain point in time, it was like more than four or 5% of all internet traffic was using his service, you know, which is obviously massive, right? <laughs> so he's a, he's a guy that knows his stuff when it comes to business and to, especially to internet and online commerce uh, and, and those kind of uh, topics. And he's had a lot of problems with the government the US government shutting down uh, his businesses and seizing his assets and a lot of legal uh, troubles and so on and so forth. Um, but he lives in New Zealand now and uh, he's a big supporter of cryptocurrency, obviously, because uh, he likes freedom, <laughs> essentially. So he went on to this uh, debate and he talked to, I think the whole thing was about three hours of, uh, first there was a lot of chatter among just the Bitcoin supporters and then Kim came on for the last hour and uh, so they had the debate and then it was it was a, it was about an hour long and then that was posted up and people were listening to it and it got you know quite a bit of uh, community attention and then the it was censored so the 
uh, people who'd had the discussion and who uploaded it initially, they took down the audio and they chopped off the Kim.com part and just kind of deleted it entirely from, uh, from the history and then re-uploaded it without all the entire Kim.com segment, uh, which was, you know, to, in my mind, the most interesting part of it, definitely obviously being interested in Bitcoin cash. And of course, being, uh, being a, a classic case of the Streisand effect, right? That when you try and censor something, it just makes everybody intensely interested in it. Uh, well, then that sort of blew it up on the, in the Bitcoin cash community a lot more than uh, it previously had been. So I thought this is actually a really good debate, you know, so all these other copies emerged of the censored section because luckily some people had saved a copy or they had access to it somehow. Uh, so we will be listening to this debate that today that was so, uh, so noteworthy that it needed to be uh, cut down and, and removed by its, some of the people who participated in it, uh, not Kim.com, but uh, the other sort of side of the debate. And I think obviously this is a hot button issue because so much of the Bitcoin versus Bitcoin cash history and back and forth uh, has revolved around censorship and freedom of speech and the ability to have a debate and uh, who gets to decide what, you know, what, what gets said or like who, who decides with what is Bitcoin and what is Bitcoin cash, right? There's no uh, there's a lot of contention about that, which I've covered on my podcast before. So I've got this quote here from Tyrion Lannister from the uh, Game of Thrones series where, I mean, he has a lot of great sayings, but one, one of his classic ones is, uh, when you tear out a man's tongue, you are not proving him a liar. You're only telling the world that you fear what he might say. And that's essentially <laughs> what has happened with uh, Kim.com. I mean, he still has his uh, tongue, but... Uh, in a metaphorical sense, the uh, BTC supporters clearly were not happy to have their discussion with him available for, for public viewing. So we will uh, look at this. And I think it comes in this context that, as I've said in the past, I, I was surprised that BTC supporters were not more aware of or not more involved or, or thinking about or worried about Bitcoin cash, you know, they just sort of figured, okay, well, it's the price has dropped off and it's just gone and we can forget about it basically. But as we've uh, looked at at the start, the stats prove that that's not the case, that actually Bitcoin cash is pretty healthy on most metrics besides the price and then the hash rate, which are, which are connected. So accepting those two things on a lot of other fronts, Bitcoin Cash is actually looking quite good, and it seems now, even if it, even if it was just a couple of months ago when the I started this uh, podcast and I sort of was talking about that, um, but it seems it is starting to get on their radar, right? Which is funny because uh, Bitcoin Cash is close to sort of all-time lows against Bitcoin, and yet the debate uh, about uh, the two options has uh, had a bit of a resurgence in the consciousness uh, of the community as as this um, as this audio sort of proves. So we're going to get into it uh, a little bit. So uh, I guess we'll just we'll just take a look at the entire audio, but uh, people may or may not listen to the whole thing. So I just wanted to give a, a quick uh, summary is that things do start off quite civil, but 
uh, at a certain point, uh, things kind of degenerate a bit on the Bitcoin side with uh, quite a lot of childlike uh, sort of screaming and hysteria and interrupting him uh, and all that. And that essentially, you know, pretty, pretty obviously you only get upset and uh, riled up and then need to take the audio down later uh, if if you're not confident in the strength of your your rational arguments, right? Because if you were right, you would just calmly explain that and that would be fine. But as everyone knows, when somebody's getting emotional and riled up uh, about a topic, a lot of the times, not always, but a good portion of the time, that that's because it's 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 the, what what is being said is kind of getting to the core of the issue, uh, and they they can't. They can't handle that, right? If somebody's just being calm and reasonable, uh, and they're getting riled up, it's pretty easy to see who is more likely to be thinking clearly about the topic. So yeah, let's just have a look at this um, this uh, this audio. And I sort of thought, yeah, we could just do uh, effectively the entire thing, hopefully. Uh, so it's one hour and six minutes. So. I'll just let it play and then just pause it to, to give my commentary. And for people who didn't hear this uh, clip originally, then I, I think it would be good because the original debate was, was quite interesting and then hopefully my commentary can add something to that. And for people who did watch this and were very interested, then uh, I think a refresher never hurts. And obviously if they were that invested, then they might appreciate uh, my commentary as well too. So let's just... Uh, get into it, I'll just <laughs> let it roll and uh, jump in uh, when I have something to say. I listened to this initially uh, earlier this week uh, and then I started listening to it before to sort of refresh my memory, but I think we'll just go off the cuff. I, I don't have it all uh, in detail planned out what I'm going to say, but we'll just, uh, we'll just see how it goes, right? So here, here it is. And I don't think it's wise to come into this. We're kind of like, uh, this is the hornet's nest now. It's not really the debate plan. We've got Kim.com in here. Should we try and rescue him from his world Bring of shit? World of shit. Uh, well, that's a whole different conversation, isn't it? Let's about. rescue Kim. Come Look, on, if you're letting Kim.com on, you should let Eric on, I think. Yeah, Eric should come back up. But Kim.com should come up too. But like, We've had lot. Me and JC had lots of conversations with Kim.com, like two conversations with him on here already, and he still says the same things. Can they debate the same thing? Can they debate against each other? I was so excited yeah, for him and his project, and then he got into Bitcoin Cash. Let's bring up both of them and make them debate BCH versus E. Is he in the room right now, or are you talking about another <laughs> later future? Yeah, no, he's here. He's here. Kim would come. Kim, I mean, I was thinking he he's, he's he's pretty open and willing to talk. Hey, do you mind if I ask? Imagine bag holding BCH in twenty twenty one. Less than 1% of Kim's. Oh, he claims he doesn't hey, have guys. any. He says he doesn't hey, guys, have any. Right. Kim's on the stage. Oh, hold on a second. Hold on a second. All right. So we've got the, <laughs> the debate begins uh, with a little prelude from the Bitcoin uh, supporters who interestingly are uh, already describing themselves as the hornet's nest, uh, right? And sort of saying, oh, okay, well, should be, you know, it's a hundred to one Bitcoin to Bitcoin cash. 
you know, they're all bag holders and they're just sort of wasting their money, right? That's the kind of the sentiment. But yet, despite that 100 to 1, it seems that there is enough uh, interest for them to, to debate. So Bitcoin Cash, clearly not, uh, clearly not irrelevant. Second, real quick, I just want to let everyone know, Kim.com, on a stage, been a, you know, a big figure in the tech space for a very, very long time. Just want to introduce you to the stage and welcome to the Den of Vipers, Tim. Thank you so much for coming up. Did you uh, want to introduce yourself a little bit? Yeah, thanks guys for having me. And uh, thanks for mentioning the beautiful soda tweet that has gotten so much attention. Um, by the way, uh, just to be clear, I love Bitcoin. I've never stopped loving Bitcoin. Um, so, you know, just because we're not on the same team right now, uh, I think you can still treat me fairly because I've been promoting Bitcoin since Right, so things obviously sort of start off on the wrong foot with Kim uh, adopting a very reasonable, uh, you know, introduction and just saying, you know, he's not he's not here to fight so much as just to discuss. And obviously, he knows it's all quite tribal. But one of the people in the in the room in this uh, app just kicks him out of the discussion uh, before he even can finish his uh, introduction so obviously the level of civility is already set quite low um and <laughs> yeah it's, it really just sets the tone a little bit for the whole fact that he got censored uh at the end of the day um, afterwards too as well so that just uh, really shows you the the level of maturity uh, a little bit but he, he comes back and he's not uh, salty about that really at all so uh, just carry on please do not do that please do not do that you guys let's keep it cool here he's not he's just just introducing himself kim please come up on the stage safe space for you to speak um i hope that no one has we might need to like down again make everybody not an admin except for dennis it okay might... yeah. yeah i think I've, you, I've should, uh, testing, you should de uh, you should demod everybody there you should i've been testing a hypothesis on clubhouse and when you break 15 moderators the room just doesn't work yeah, that's a very good hypothesis. I'm not sure how many of you are okay with sticking around after being shoved down to the audience and pulled back up. But if you're interested I'll... in that, we can have. All right. Yeah, Kim, you want to? Everyone's going down, and I'll bring you back up. Let's do it. Everyone's self self dropping. Everyone who's a moderator, drop down, and and, I'm, and I'll bring him back up. Go ahead, everybody. Yep, yep, keep going. I know you guys, come on, it's tough. Fucking, fucking Chinese. All right, here we go. Hey, I have a question for Tim. Okay, come here, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is moving very, it's hard to <laughs> Everyone Tim. raise your hand. All right. <laughs> Not everyone, yeah, everyone, sorry, you back up. Just. Tim, nice to see you again. I'm back. <laughs> You're back. Don't worry. It's just me and you now. No one can drop you down to the audience. Would love to hear you start over from the beginning on your introduction. Um, you talked about how you are um, you're pro Bitcoin, but you you're over there with Bitcoin Cash. And I guess a lot of us that are Bitcoiners feel you know you're like a pretty smart guy. You've you've been around the industry for a long time. Kind of you're into the cypherpunk stuff. Uh, you're a rebel, and so am I. 
you know, why why Bitcoin Cash and why do the arguments that you we you've obviously heard the arguments for Bitcoin, but why do they not seem to land with you as far as um, the whole decentralization aspect of Bitcoin Cash, where the blocks get too big, it can't be used as global money. Yes, uh, so I don't know how much you still heard uh, before it was removed, um, but what I wanted to say is, you know, I've always been a supporter of Bitcoin, and uh, when we started development on K.IM, our intention was uh, to do this with Lightning and Liquid and, and, you know, make it all work, but in our testing environment and developing um, you know, and trying to implement Lightning and Liquid for over a year, we just got increasingly frustrated because it didn't work. You know, and we've run large uh, volume tests and ran into scalability issues and ran into so many problems that we had to start looking uh, for an alternative. And we ended up with Bitcoin Cash. As, you know, but, but right, so this is pretty telling. Uh, obviously, Kim is... A businessman and he's always thinking about what uh, what can actually provide utility to users right what in a marketplace would people be willing to pay for and so on and obviously on the BTC side they're uh, because they're not willing to raise the block size and permit more transactions on their network uh, it sort of remains a question of how how is the network going to grow how are they going to onboard more users and, and build more utility uh, and value in their in their currency and the answer is often this uh, this technology I suppose called lightning network which is basically this idea that you can uh, open basically what's like a bar tab of somebody else uh, where you and them uh, send uh, bitcoins and tally them all up between yourself and then at the end you just publish a summary of Okay, I transacted one dollar to you, and then you sent me fifty cents, and then I sent you two dollars, and then you sent me one dollar, and then you sent me three dollars, and and you just basically calculate it all up and submit it back to the the blockchain, uh, you know, as a summary in the end, and then that would uh, reduce the amount of space required on the blockchain for uh, people to to transact, because you and I could do a hundred transactions, but then only just submit one summary at the end. And this is obviously quite controversial. I'm not really a big uh, believer in it, and I'll probably do another video at some point explaining all, all the reasoning. Uh, but it's a bit of a joke uh, in the Bitcoin Cash community about it being 18 months away until it's ready, because literally in 2014 and 2015, this Lightning Network was suggested as it was going to solve all the problems of uh, Bitcoin and scaling. Uh, and that it would be ready in 18 months. And here we are, five to six years later, and it's still, the joke is that it's still 18 months away because as Kim is explaining, he, he tried that, he, he gave it a go, he wants to build a real business. He's obviously had his engineers working on it, he's been doing his due diligence, and it's just, it's just not happening, it's just not ready. I mean, I would say that that's because the whole idea is just fundamentally flawed, that the point of a blockchain is to use a blockchain. If you're not gonna use a blockchain, well, then uh, why would you have that at all? Why wouldn't you just have a centralized database like PayPal or Visa do, right? Uh, because that will scale, but obviously it's not permissionless. It's not decentralized. It's not open to the world. It's just a sort of a proprietary solution and Lightning Network will trend in that same direction in my, uh, 
view, but it's also horribly uh, hard to use and unintuitive because you're adding these additional layers of complexity on top of uh, the blockchain. So for new users who they get excited about Bitcoin finally, and then they hear, oh, wait, but actually you can't use it. You need to use this other thing called Lightning. And then you're just trying to make more explanations. And uh, the, yeah, the whole thing's just uh, a bit of a Rube Goldberg machine where it's just so overly complicated. So Kim, Kim looked into that, you know, and it sounds like he did for more than a year. So he's put a lot of effort into this and wasn't working for him. So that really just speaks for itself environment that worked really well but but as far as the argument i understand the transaction throughput and that's been an argument for in a debate highly contested for a very long time but how do you come to grips with the the decentralization aspect that's what we're all really here for we're here for the decentralization we're here to to essentially say fuck you to the government fuck you to the the big banks and the fed and that we are in control now we control the money and how do you how do you how do you see Bitcoin Cash continuing on into the future when the blocks are going to get so big, it's going to be a glo potentially global money, right, at this point. Um, and when you make the blocks that big, the, the blockchain gets massive. Uh, nobody's going to be able to run a full node and nobody's going to be able to um, have the bandwidth to do this. So there's going to be very few nodes on the network. What, like, how do you come to grips with that, with that part of the argument? All right. So just before we get to Kim's answer, uh, I just want to make the quick point that uh, well, today, the Bitcoin uh, blockchain is more than 180 gigabytes more than the Bitcoin Cash blockchain because obviously in the last five or six years until recently, uh, well, the last yeah, five years, um, Bitcoin Cash has been less popular up until very, very recently in the last three months. So because of all that accumulated weight of transactions, the Bitcoin uh, blockchain is currently today more than uh, 180 gigabytes bigger than the Bitcoin Cash blockchain. So Bitcoin Cash could actually go quite popular and get a huge ramp up in volume before it even became uh, comparable to uh, the Bitcoin block blockchain as it is today. But Bitcoin uh, supporters, obviously, you know, very reasonably are th trying to think in the long term, is this going to be sustainable and if you just uh, were having larger and larger blocks and more and more transaction throughput, would would there be an issue at at some stage, right? So we're about to get uh, Kim's take on that, but my take and there there's research and, and so on and so forth. There's evidence to support that perhaps it wouldn't actually be as much of an issue as you think because uh, storage is the cheapest is one of the cheapest uh, parts of computer hardware. Like if you want to run a node on uh, the Bitcoin uh, Cash blockchain, or let's say right now the Bitcoin uh, BTC blockchain, it's worth more than a trillion dollars, right? And so if you basically can't afford to spend 100 or $200 to buy a, a couple terabyte hard drive to be part of a trillion dollar network, well then, you know, what, what other sacrifices are you making in the functionality of your currency just so that um, you know people can save themselves a hundred dollars on on running a node, and for like large mining farms, for instance, where they will have literally millions of dollars of computer hardware, to them, uh, uh, you know, a hundred dollar hard drive, one hundred dollar hard drive is is a no brainer, right? Uh, but Bitcoin uh, supporters are very focused on this idea that it's going to be a huge cost on the individual 
node operators when the node operators are by and large the miners, businesses who again also for them $100 is pretty much neither here nor there or very committed end users, right? The first people doesn't don't find Bitcoin or Bitcoin Cash and the first thing they do is learn how to run a node and everything like that. They, they just don't do that, right? So people who are running nodes, uh, it's because they, they really are invested and they're, they're really prepared to, um, you know, put in the time and effort and apparently not the money, but it should be the money to, to contribute uh, in that way, in, in my uh, opinion. But uh, of course, you know, there's different uh, ideas. So let's hear what Kim has to say about this idea of the, um, the increasing block, blockchain uh, size. Well, I don't really agree with, uh, you know, the issue about uh, large or small blocks because the hardware is getting better, the, you know, the availability of, of cheap uh, storage is getting better every year. Uh, you know, I, so I just don't agree with the, with the uh, consensus that uh, Bitcoin Core made at the end to keep the blocks small. I thought that was not necessary because, you know, we're... we're just in the last five years, I mean, look how much uh, cheaper storage has become, how uh, much better the servers are now. Uh, I just didn't see the necessity for keeping small blocks. So when it comes to the argument, I understand Moore's law. You know, the technology that we have is getting better. It's getting cheaper. I totally agree with you in some regards that 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 is an important factor when it comes to this whole argument. But I don't know. I, in my personal opinion, I was I kind of came onto the scene in the middle of this fight, right in the middle of this war, and I came. Right. So just quick note there: while being you know uh, coming into Bitcoin at a certain time does not necessarily validate or invalidate uh, your opinion. And as I've said before on this show, I try and have people from a a variety of sort of Bitcoin eras, right? Because when people come into it, uh, makes quite a quite a difference in, in how they see it, really. But it's very interesting that this uh, particular you know fan of Bitcoin, he came in at the time of the uh, the scaling debate, and so perhaps doesn't have that context of what the community sentiment was, what the goal of the project was, what everybody thought was going to happen, or how it worked prior to that, right? It, like uh, like I I do, and I think a lot of Bitcoin Cash supporters do, where they they know they remember when it was just easy, and the plan was we were going to go to global scale and not get sort of diverted by this uh, block size limit. But maybe this uh, this individual doesn't have that uh, context, and maybe that's that's part of his uh, take. Kim has been you know interested in Bitcoin since 2012, I think was when he was first. Uh, getting, you know, interested in it. Uh, I don't know, he hasn't been massively involved in all that uh, all that time, but he, he is more likely to have some of that uh, earlier understanding of the, of the currency. To the conclusion that Moore's law, it, it, it is working, but it's not traveling fast enough. And essentially what's gonna happen is, if you decide to scale Bitcoin Cash as global money, the amount of transactions that would be required in order to to scale Bitcoin Cash, you're going to be talking at about a blockchain ledger that's which with Bitcoin it's currently 350 some gigs, but with Bitcoin Cash it could be not just terahashes or um uh well the, not just but it could be terabytes but petabytes yes thank you JC and so now it's like you're talking about 
stuff that's not even available to the retail consumer. And I think the whole point about decentralized money is it's money that the individual can, you know, self-verify and self-audit. Right. So, okay. Yeah. It's, it is true that maybe Bitcoin Cash will get to the stage of petabytes of, um, of, of data, right? But that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, so, you know, being worried that the sky is falling today is, it's not a big issue in my mind because it's like if in, uh, in 1999, if you said, look, we're going to have this technology, but we only have floppy disks and we can only store a few kilobytes of information, then the idea of people streaming, you know, gigabytes of, of data in HD movies one day or, or at that time would seem ludicrous, right? But as time moves on, technology improves, things get better. And nowadays having gigabytes of storage or even terabytes of storage is just not a big deal, right? So in five years, 10 years, 15 years, having petabytes of storage will probably not be a big, uh, big issue either. So it's sort of uh, missing the point a little bit to be concerned about how we're going to solve tomorrow's problems with today's technology, because for tomorrow's problems, we'll have tomorrow's technology. I don't know if that will be possible in a Bitcoin cash world. Well, the the way Bitcoin Cash is operating now, you're uh, you're probably totally right. But we are, of course, also innovating. And since I started getting involved, I've basically, uh, you know, gotten a lot of uh, developers uh, interested to start working with us. And of course, we're also going to work on innovations and solutions that are solving that problem. I don't see it as a major issue. Okay, so I guess yeah. I mean, that's really where we just come to a divide because to me. The idea of Bitcoin is the ability to to be self-sovereign. It's the ability to verify that I own the Bitcoin that you know my node says I own. And in a Bitcoin cash world, I, I don't think someone that's on a low net worth status, which which I would consider myself to be high net worth, but um, someone that's a lower end of the spectrum, they're not going to be able to afford to self-verify. And I think going into the future, that's going to be super important. Otherwise, you're in my opinion, you're just going to have centralization of power in the hands of the elite and the, and the rich once again, which is really kind of the system that we live in today. So I guess that's kind of where we divide. I, I really think it's important to have uh, a currency, a global currency that empowers the individual and not groups and not large conglomerates. And I, and I see what you're saying. You know, you're, you're, you're building stuff out. You're working on ways to make it better. But do you not see the value in you know, someone on the low end of the spectrum, someone who doesn't have a lot of money, you know, being able to audit and, and verify that they own the Bitcoin or the Bitcoin cash that the network says they have. Right. So this is this is actually uh, quite a good point um, on the BTC side is that all, all other things being equal, it's obviously better if you can have more nodes and you can have more copies of the network running and if individuals can can run a node themselves. Right. Uh, I don't think, and I don't think anybody would say that it's it's a good idea to be anti-nodes. The question is, what are you trading off? Which is the concern here about you know uh, low net worth individuals such as such as they are being able to get access to the system and to use uh, Bitcoin. Well, under the current model, where the fees are seventeen dollars per transaction, a huge percentage of the world lives on less than seventeen dollars a day. So they couldn't even they would spend their entire <laughs> 
uh, earnings for that day or for that week or for that month just to make one transaction. So obviously they're not going to have access uh, to this system. So if instead in the Bitcoin Cash model where you perhaps raise the barrier to or you know raise the cost to run a node a little bit, but you increase the the user base massively because if fees are less than a fraction of a cent, if you're in Africa or in Southeast Asia or in South America or literally anywhere in the world and you just uh, don't have a huge amount of economic um, you know, capability, that you will still have access to that system. And because of that, there will be a lot of consumers and therefore there'll be a lot of businesses who will be willing to uh, pay the cost to run those uh, nodes. Whereas if you make the transaction fees $17, okay, you might have a lot of nodes, but you're not gonna have many people actually using the, the system very much. So it's lucky for those individuals that can be involved, but everybody else is obviously gonna to go to an alternative. Yeah, but that's just assuming that we can't do that. You know, I mean, the, the assumption that if we, if we grow to 100 times our current size, we, we wouldn't be able to do that in five years from now. It's just wrong because, you know, of course, we're going to innovate. We're going to make sure that, uh, that we can handle the traffic. The thing that I don't understand, and by the way, thank you for having me here and uh, thank you for being, you know, friendly because I do not like the tension between the different tribes. I think it's counterproductive. I think competition is good, uh, but let me just say this, you know, Bitcoin has evolved now to be this uh, store of value. And when I see people like Michael Saylor uh, giving interviews and talking about how Bitcoin is this new bank of the internet, and it's really just for saving your, your asset, it's not really about spending, you know, I feel bad because if we are ever in a situation where governments decide they have enough of crypto and they want to regulate it and destroy it, if we don't have critical mass with actual utility where people are using it every day and we have, you know, hundreds of millions of users actually paying for stuff with crypto, we are running into real difficulties defending ourselves. You know, this whole crypto revolution depends on usage and that's my main concern saving hold on hold on hold on i got i can i can keep going here and then maybe we'll maybe we'll bring up some other people to talk uh, but i'm going to try to keep answering and, and talking to one-on-one -on -one with kim for just a moment longer so you brought up a few you brought up a few different points there and i think i'm going to tackle the first one which is that you're saying that michael saylor is you know, saying it's a store of value and it's, and it's, and it's, you know, kind of changed the narrative on Bitcoin. And, you know, you could say that you could say that, but it's really not so much that the narrative has changed as much as our understanding of this technology has changed. In the beginning, people were talking about it, you know, global payments, global payments, medium of exchange, but we all kind of took a step back and many in this room probably already knew this, but it didn't become common knowledge until more in the last four or five years, but we all kind of took a step back and we realized, well, in order for something to be a medium exchange, it has to go through an evolutionary path. And that evolutionary path. Right, so just very quickly, very interesting to say that, uh, it sort of says we all took a step back and it only became apparent in the last four to five years when he said that he came on the scene as the scaling debate was at its peak, which was about four to five years ago. So it's a bit inconsistent to sort of 
think that, oh, we all understood something earlier and then later on came to this, you know, changed understanding when really he only came in after the understanding had already changed, at least for uh, some people. So I think it's a bit missing the point a little bit to say whether something had had was it whether it was different and then everybody else sort of slowly came around to his way of thinking when it was the exact opposite people had a different kind of thinking and then he came in and thought well this is the way it's the same path that gold took gold started out as a collectible a nascent collectible and people liked it it was shiny rocks right and uh, you know it's portable and it was malleable they could do cool things but they could make jewelry out of it and then eventually, over time, enough people started collecting it that it became a store of value. And we all started kind of storing our wealth in this cool thing that everybody wanted to collect. And eventually, when, enough, when there was enough people who saw it as a store of value, uh, gold eventually became a medium of exchange. People started bartering with it and it, you know, kind of became this intermediary for, for uh, a world that had kind of uh, been birthed out of just purely trading goods back and forth. So if you wanted a cow, and you had chickens, you know, you had to go through maybe multiple trades in order to, you know, get the cow. But now you could just trade gold. And that was a big leap for society, right? Eventually what happened was went from a medium of exchange, then it went to a unit of account. And that's the full transition of something becoming a monetary, you know, a, a perfect money in a sense, right? Sound money. And that's the, that's the trajectory that we see going on with Bitcoin right now. It, is, it was a collectible in the beginning. It was magic internet money. We all thought it was just this kind of cool, unique thing. No one really, really understood it at all. Uh, just fun thing to have. Yeah, I mean, so I've got to really dispute this uh, point yet again, painting everyone with a big brush. We all, we, we all just thought it was a fun thing to have. We didn't really understand it. Well, he can speak for himself, but for me, I, I disagree with that entirely, which is that when I... Uh, found out about it in 2013 and I became convinced that it was going to be the future global uh, reserve currency, uh, you know, exactly as the topic of this, um, the tagline of this podcast suggests. I, I didn't think it was just some fun thing to have. I thought this is the future of money. <laughs> Humanity is going to switch over. It's going to be a civilization changing thing. And I think his history has it around the wrong way because uh what actually happened, uh, certainly with Bitcoin, and I would say probably also with gold, is that it was a medium of exchange first, and then a store of value, not store of value, then medium of exchange, because that's why Bitcoin had effectively no price uh, when it was 2009, 2010. And then the first transaction where um, Laszlo, this uh, online user, he bought 10,000 Bitcoins, uh, he bought two pizzas for 10,000 Bitcoins, that was the medium of exchange happening. And then once everybody clued in, wait, that means that it has some value. If you can trade it for things, then people started thinking, well, in the future, more people will be doing this. And so then they started saving it. And then that gave more people that you can transact with and it feeds into itself uh, in a loop like that. But the utility is coming from the fact that people can trade it. Uh, it's not coming from the fact that a lot of people are holding it. If people can trade it, then by default, a lot of people will hold it because they know that if they want to swap it for something else, which is the whole point of money, you can. It's very easy because there's a lot of people that will accept it. But you can have a lot of people holding it and nobody willing to, uh, you know, willing or able to, to trade it. That doesn't make it a very good, uh, a very good currency if it's not like usable in that sense.
And then it, you know, it's going through this path where people thought it was becoming a medium of exchange, but in fact, it needed to go through that first phase, that second phase, which is the store value phase. And in my opinion, we're in that phase right now. We will be in that phase for some time. And that's that value that's coming onto, and this kind of goes into what you're saying on one of your second points, but that value coming into Bitcoin is what protects Bitcoin, not the actual users themselves. The value that's being accrued onto the, onto the Bitcoin network is what protects it, not necessarily an individual user. Um, so I can see your argument where you're, where you're saying that we need to hit mass adoption with users, but I just see it differently. We need to hit mass adoption with value. Yeah, I mean, I can respond to that. Um, you know, my main concern has always been, since I got involved in crypto early on, that the governments are going to see this as a threat because in reality, there's no benefit for the U.S. government to support Bitcoin or any other crypto for that matter. You know, eventually you are competing with uh, their money printing power and the bigger Bitcoin becomes, the larger the threat becomes and sooner or later i can guarantee you uh, the u.s government and many other governments are going to make moves to try and uh, regulate crypto and ban it so with that in mind let's just assume for a second that i'm right and that is the future we are facing my uh, objective is to really have a cryptocurrency that has mass usage because if you have hundreds of millions of users around the world receiving their payroll, uh, paying for their groceries, paying for something simple like soda or coffee or you know, their rent or whatever, then it becomes much harder to shut it down. When you, on the other hand, have a store of value that sits now primarily uh, you know, it's, it's always increasing with institutionals and the 1% that see it more and more as, a, as an investment vehicle, then it's much easier to shut down because if the U.S. government regulates, you know, all of those one percenters are going to comply and basically hand over their Bitcoin and then it's game over. You know, so this is where I'm coming from, and I like everyone to understand this. I'm really not against Bitcoin. I'm trying to see crypto as a whole to succeed. And I think from my point of view, given my experience with the U.S. government, my understanding of how it works, how they operate, U.S. empire will not want to lose its power uh, by controlling the money supply and being able to do sanctions and all these things that they do uh, to, to maintain power as an empire. You know, I just don't want them to destroy the crypto revolution, you know, and, and that is really where I'm coming yes. from. Yes. So let me connect you No, Kim, hold on. So, yeah, great, great points, basically, by Kim. And this is one of the reasons why Bitcoin Cash is, is going to outperform Bitcoin massively, in my mind, in the next over the next three to five years and, and into the future is because users that actually use the currency are, are much more invested, right? Because they, they have a need for it, right? If you buy some Bitcoin and, and BTC and you put it in your uh, Coinbase account and you forget about it and you never trade it anywhere, well, A, you're massively at risk of Coinbase uh, just, you know, being uh, investigated or being involved with the US government. 
uh, or any government or any hackers or anything, right? If you're not uh, looking after it yourself, but also if you're not using it in your day-to-day -day life, it's not very ingrained. It's not really a habit change. It's just you went on one time, you bought someone in exchange and then you forgot about it. Or maybe you looked at it and you saw the value going up and down and got really excited about that. But if you actually have some on your phone and you go and buy lunch with it, like I have done, uh, you know, a couple of days ago, then you, you know, it, it's, it's actually flowing. It's a, it's a real uh, currency and the, there's just utility to that. The utility of a currency comes from the amount of actual real commerce. Uh, it's supporting and some percentage of that is speculation, particularly in cryptocurrencies. But if the bulk of it is speculation and particularly in centralized hubs, then it's much easier for the government or any anybody else uh, to get involved and, and create uh, problems in that uh, in that system because users will be very easy to just cut off. And then, well, they were already just using their US dollars, so they're just going to keep using their US dollars. and. Obviously, with the money printing and everything, like we talked about at the start of the episode, it's just going straight through the roof. Well, this it becomes more and more critical that people have a workable alternative for actually transacting rather than uh, holding on a on an exchange. But hold on, hold on, please, please, hold on. I completely agree with you. I think that is the the number one threat, right? That's a threat that we've all talked about for a very long time, and I agree with you completely yes. that you that, that we agree on that point right but the but you're saying that mass adoption by users is what's going to stop it and that's kind of where i disagree i personally believe that especially in america the big money interests are the ones who are in control and if the big money interests own bitcoin then it's going to provide not only resources but it's going to provide lobbying money it's going to provide all of this infrastructure of value that is gonna help protect Bitcoin from some sort of government state level attack. And when you have these big money interests coming in, the banks, the investment funds, the hedge fund managers, these guys, they don't wanna lose money. They're not just gonna bend over and be like, yeah, sure, you know, let's just kill Bitcoin. They're gonna defend it with every single means of- Well, let me, tell you why, let me just tell you why I think that this, this is, um, you know, an important point. I'm Go sorry ahead, to interrupt man. you there. Just like the U.S. government, the banks don't like Bitcoin either. You know, you are, you, we're changing the status quo, right? The banks will not be able to operate as they have in the past when Bitcoin succeeds, even as a store of value, you know, so that you think for a moment that the banks or the big hedge funds are on your side, I think is, uh, is wrong. And they are actually actively lobbying uh, politicians to try and do something against crypto. They are spending a lot of dollars to make sure that you guys don't have a future. Yeah, so that's so, so hold on, please, please no one jump in at this point. I, 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 I can continue a little bit longer with one-on-one and then we'd be more than happy to bring some people in, but I think it's important that we keep this conversation one-on-one -on -one for the sake of um, stability of the conversation. Okay. So I agree with your point that this is this is where it comes down, right? Like the governments, that's the ultimate battle, right? But you, you're saying that the big banks are going to lobby against us. But now it's almost like we have, and let me finish this point, and I want to make one more point. We have this team of money on our side, though. We have the hedge fund managers and all these other guys are on our side. That's kind of that point there, right? And we could debate that all day. But here's, here's a question that I have, and I'll kind of just continue talking about it. Maybe you can. Right. So I, I essentially agree with Kim, for the most part, I think it's a little bit naive for 
the BTC supporters to think it is true that uh, one of the powerful parts of cryptocurrency is that uh, it sort of creates defectors in the fiat currency system where if you are a bank, you will buy some Bitcoin and therefore it will be in your interest to sort of uh, protect it to, to some extra degree to protect your own investment. But on the other hand, uh, it is also true that uh, the banks are, are very much more easy to regulate and they also have it in their interests uh, to try and cut off consumer access to Bitcoin because in order for a bank to maintain its status controlling the flow of money, it would be perfect for them if Bitcoin fees went to $5,000 per transaction and then once per day they could do a, a settlement transaction with one other bank uh, and it would just be only the banks in control of all the Bitcoin. And then with uh, individuals able to just, uh, you know, transact th via their banking account rather than directly with the blockchain. But the whole point of a blockchain is that every individual should be able to in interface directly with it, you know, uh, cheaply and not have to rely on these centralized uh, parties. So while a bank will have it in their interest uh, once they've acquired some Bitcoin, to defend it, they will be trying to defend the banking version of Bitcoin. They will try to be def defending bank coin. They will not be trying to defend Bitcoin for the people. Whereas if a lot of people, a lot of end users have uh, Bitcoin, or in this case, probably Bitcoin Cash, well, they're also interested in uh, defending it in terms of lobbying their representatives in parliament, or in terms of starting businesses on it, or in terms of educating other users, or all those sort of things. They also uh, will defend it, but they will defend a version that works for them, that keeps fees low, that gives them direct access to the network, uh, and so on and so forth. So that's a pretty key distinction. And uh, yeah, Kim's just nailed it. That if you think uh, you know what recruiting the banks should be the the strategy, well, you're just setting yourself up to be bank coin rather than you know currency for the world that ev that everybody can use without financial intermediaries taking a cut at every step in the process jump in if you want to if you want to answer the question but what do you think the government cares more about do you think the united states cares more about the dollar and its power or gold and its power well 100 percent the dollar because it's okay. printing okay money so like then I'll, crazy hold on and then i'll and stop i just want to stop you real quick and ask you one more question do you see bitcoin cash yeah. More like the dollar or more like gold? And which is a bigger threat um, to the United Bitcoin States? Is it, is more, it Bitcoin? More like the dollar. Okay, so then, so then you would naturally agree that Bitcoin cash would be seen as more of a threat to the United States hegemony than Bitcoin itself, which is more like gold. And the Fed chairman actually went as far as to say that last week. No, I, I heard that. Uh, but let's not be naive here for a second. So Mr. BTC supporter scores a bit of an own goal on himself, really. Like uh, he and Kim both agree that uh, Bitcoin Cash is more like the dollar, and that that's the game plan, right? Bitcoin, a peer-to-peer, a peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash, right, to be the global reserve currency, exactly like I'm I'm talking about. You know, if you try, if your argument is well, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is like gold, and gold is kind of irrelevant. Well, then you've you've made the exact point against yourself that in, if Bitcoin becomes like gold, it will also become kind of irrelevant, right? Uh, there's no shying away from the fact that uh, Bitcoin uh, and cryptocurrencies at its whole 
was founded on the premise of changing the system. You can't, if you just say, we're going to make it more like the system or more like a fringe part of the system, that's missing the point where we should be playing for keeps here. We, we really are. It's, uh, it's, you know, in some sense, it's all or nothing. Like there's a great, like everything, there's a great Satoshi quote. And one of them, he says, when somebody's asked him something about like, will cryptocurrency be worth uh, a lot of money in the future? And he says, look, I'm very confident that in 20 years time, it will either be worth a lot or it'll be worth nothing. And that that's pretty much the way it's going to go right it either it keeps growing and it keeps getting bigger it keeps swallowing up more of the economy it keeps winning or or it all falls apart in some way i i don't know how that would be right but to sort of volunteer yourself into cornering bitcoin into this sort of section of the financial system that is like gold which as everybody knows is used by investment banks and governments and whatever but it's pretty niche right not nobody's really trading gold on the street all that much and people do not have stacks of it at their house and stuff uh, for the most part right some people do but uh for the most part it's it's kind of uh niche it's not an everyday thing for most people so <laughs> i think yeah just just kind of shooting yourself in the foot uh explaining your argument uh this way on the BTC side, because really you're just making the point that you're turning Bitcoin into something like gold, which is fringe, whereas Bitcoin Cash is still still on track to be, be in the prime time. And I mean, you guys are also saying once Lightning is fully operational and perfect, uh, that it can be used uh, for transactions. So you are also competing with the U.S. dollar, right? Well, but, it's a wanna... but it's like a Trojan horse, right? It's like a Trojan horse. So we're starting as a store of value, and that puts us in a safer position eventually. And I don't even think it's going to happen in the next 10, 20 years. Sorry, to... go ahead, Kim. Kim, you go ahead. Yeah. No, I have to admit that the strategy so far has been working out fine. You know, I really think that Bitcoin has come a long way, and I can see why certain decisions were made. But it's just naive to think, just because you're focusing on store of value now, that that is going to protect you from regulation later. Because even as a store of value, you are competing with the power of the U.S. government, and they will not have it. But this is my whole point, I guess, Kim. And maybe we can we can finish here. We don't need to go. We don't need to go all day. Um, I understand that you're not going to come in this room and. You're not going to leave agreeing with me. I don't think I don't think either of us have the intention of coming, leaving the room. But just more so if we I hope at the end of this room that you, we can just keep an open mind about everything that's going on. And I think that when you really look at what's important to the U.S. government, the most important part of the gov U.S. government's power is it's is the dollar. It's the petrodollar. It's the it's the forcing everybody to actually use the dollar. But when we're using Bitcoin. But when we're using Bitcoin, we're yeah, using it as a store yeah. of value now, today. We're not using it as a dollar. So when you're using Bitcoin Cash, though, that's essentially, that's essentially the argument that you're making, that you're competing directly with the U.S. dollar. Yep, that's exactly it. Nailed it, mate. That, that's the point. That's not... Uh... <laughs> oh, man. That's not something to be ashamed of or shy away from. That's what we're doing here. And maybe lightning is down the path, whatever, right? But at this point, right now, today, we're competing with gold and Bitcoin Cash is competing with the U.S. dollar.
Yeah, and let, let me just uh, reply to that, and please give me a minute, because this is important. And I want everyone to understand that I'm really your friend. I'm not your enemy. So I think when you hear me, when you hear me, you will understand uh, why I'm saying this. Eventually, of course, the goal of crypto is to replace fiat currency, which is currently being used to you know, have a license to print money, to create more and more debt, uh, to bring the government into more and more trouble. It's unsustainable. And sooner or later, that house of cards is going to come crashing down. When that happens, we need to have something in place that can take uh, the rain and that can be the future money. And it should okay. be crypto. Right? I know I agree with you, but, I, but do you think, what's, what do you think is going to replace what do you think is going to replace the U.S. dollar? Do you think it's going to be um, a centralized Bitcoin cash or do you think it's going to be a centralized CBDC, central bank digital currency? Well, first of all, I don't, don't agree with the statement that Bitcoin cash is centralized, right? But let's not dwell on that. Okay, let's, let's move on from that, that point. Uh, then. Let's, just, let's just assume that is, uh, that is an unfair accusation, okay? I won't um, debate it with you because currently... That's a hotly you know, contested point, but it's not the point of the conversation where we are right now. Why don't you go ahead? Yes. So, and by the way, you know, like I said, the more usage BCH uh, will gain and the more market share it gains, the smaller this uh, problem uh, that you perceive of, uh, you know, decentralization being an issue for BCH is going to go away, right? Well, no, I, sorry, but, I have to stop you there, though. More Bitcoin Cash gets used, the more centralized it will become. Because right, okay, so I think that's a bit of a non sequitur. We're going to hear his uh, full reasoning, but <laughs> I don't know how you would say that if there was 20 million people using Bitcoin Cash, that it would be more centralized than if there was, you know, 20,000, right? Obviously, the more users there are, the more spread out they are, the more economic activity there is going on. Uh, the less that any one, you know, crack down on any one geographic area or on one demographic or on one industry or whatever could could do anything to uh, stop it. So I think, you know, a lot of BC core supporters, they have this uh, narrative that it's all about the nodes and that the nodes are key to the decentralization. And it's true that nodes are important, but they're also the least important of all of the uh, aspects of decentralization. The most important is the users. Uh, because that's the, the hardest and most spread about uh, and has the strongest network effect. And then the second is the miners. And then the third is the, you know, because they, they uh, verify the network. And then the third is the developers, because if you just have one development team, then somebody can take control of that, which is what has happened in BDC Core. And then they can dictate the direction that things are going. And then the fourth is merchants, because just like users, the more spread about they are, the more real commerce is actually happening. And then nodes are, are actually the last um, metric on that on that list. So sacrificing your decentralization of users and merchants, um, you know, at the cost to in order to have more decentralized nodes is really aiming at the wrong uh, target completely. But uh, this focus on nodes is, of course, very typical of these BDC supporters because they they run a node, so they're very concerned about that, but they're not thinking in the big picture about uh, about you know what 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 matters where the priority should be for for the currency and I guess just one quick point as well is that uh, BBC uh, currently has about ten thousand nodes 
and Bitcoin Cash currently has a, a, like about 1200 or something like that. So it's about an eight to one ratio. So there are a lot more Bitcoin nodes, but the price like we've seen is a hundred to one. Uh, so actually as a proportion, Bitcoin Cash is running a lot more nodes because people are in support of that idea and they are you know, c committed to it. So it's a bit of a fallacy to think that uh, if, you know, let's say if the two traded places, Bitcoin Cash would in theory, already have a lot more nodes than Bitcoin did. So it would do better on that metric as well as all the other ones. The bigger the blocks get and the more full the blocks become, the bigger the blockchain gets. And the bigger the blockchain gets, the, the, the more computing power you need, the more bandwidth you need, and the more storage space you need for the blockchain, which means the amount of people who can run a node is, becomes limited. It becomes shrinking and shrinking over time, especially if this becomes something that happens rapidly. Yeah, but that would only be, that would be, sorry, that would only be the case if there was no evolution of hardware and pricing in the space. But that's not correct. You know, we get more and more uh, powerful machines, more and more powerful uh, storage and at cheaper and cheaper prices. So you can't really assume that. It's Bitcoin's not harder to run today than it was 10 years ago. And so, I mean, that's Bitcoin with one megabyte block or two, if you want to come segment. It's harder to run today than it was. Yeah. Look, I hear, the, I hear those arguments, right? But let's just put that to one side for now. And let's talk about what we need to do to make sure that when the governments decide, and it's going to happen, uh, to regulate crypto and, 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 and push it out of existence, you know, what is the best way to defend ourselves? Just assuming that these banks you are mentioning are not going to be on your side and are actually going to be quite happy with the government. So uh, so uh, that's just a second. Yeah, go ahead. Finish please, please. It, finish it. Just, just let me finish. So let's just assume that these are not going to come to Bitcoin's rescue, right? The only thing that is going to save crypto is if the masses say, we want this to be our money. We have enough of your uh, corrupt financial system. It's not going to be the banks. They are the status quo. They don't want anything to change. They make, uh, you know, triple digit billion dollars every year. Why the hell would they change it? The Federal Reserve feeds them interest-free money that they invest in stocks. And through that, uh, they control, you know, over 50% of the voting rights in, in the U.S. economy, in the, in the listed companies, you know, they are not going to want to depart from that power. So the only chance in my mind, right, and I've been thinking a lot about this over the years, is that we have a mass of people, hundreds of millions of people standing up to their governments and saying, no, we've had this old financial system enough. It was corrupt. It led to this uh, you know, downfall, which is going to come. We'll have a severe economic depression coming up uh, you know, in the next two or three years. And then people will be looking for an alternative. And the best alternative is going to be a crypto that is actually being utilized en masse with uh, you know, really mass penetration in all the different markets. And that's what I'm trying to focus on. And please don't hate me for it. I'm trying just as much as you guys uh, to see crypto succeed and to have a future and to survive the coming crypto wars, which I'm 100% certain are going to come. Listen, so I think that I appreciate you coming up here. And there are a lot of people that 
you know, they really feel very hotly about this. And as you can see, it was difficult to even, you know, have a conversation because it's very difficult. There's a lot on the line right now. I agree with you. The whole, essentially the whole entire financial system is on the line at this point. But I did, but the Interesting. So the whole financial system is on the line and yet the model for BTC is to become gold, which as we know is, I mean, it's part of the financial system, but it's far and away the whole thing. Whereas, uh, you know, far away from being the whole thing, right? But the the dollar, that's pretty integral. That, that's pretty much the whole world economy, you know, depends on the the health or not of the of the dollar. So if we're going to, you know, fight over the whole financial system, you got to kind of you got to kind of go for the king, you know. Points where I really really disagree with yeah. you know, your assumption that mass adoption by people by users is what's going to protect the network. The network is not protected by individual users with wallets. Those wallets don't do anything to defend the network whatsoever. The thing that defends the networks is the nodes. The nodes defend the network from an outside attack. And the only reason you only way you can continue to grow the node network or maintain the node network is to keep the block size small. Otherwise it becomes nearly impossible for uh, the individual users, individual people all over the planet to run a node. We're very privileged in the United States and some other Western countries and maybe some more wealthier countries, North Korea, there's many countries where we're very privileged, right? They're very privileged in North Korea. I think maybe you just misspoke. Maybe you meant South Korea, but uh, kind of, kind of a weird, uh, a weird thing. And it's just funny because for the audio listeners, the graphic that was used for this uh, re-upload was uh, was a picture of their uh, logo from this clubhouse discussion. But they put the face of uh, Kim Jong Un over uh, over the the mascot of the podcast. So he's kind of on topic. But there's a lot of places all over the world where they don't have the ability to spend two hundred. It's like two to three hundred dollars right now to run a node, and that's if you want to buy, you know, the cheap, cheap, cheap products. Imagine if you 10x. Imagine if you 100x, which is what you're talking about. You're talking about going from one percent of the, the the planet using Bitcoin to a hundred percent of the planet using Bitcoin. So that's a. This is a bit of a false equivalence. Like, obviously, with more users, the um, the cost would go up to run a node, but the costs to run a node are not linear to the usage, right? So you could have a lot more uses. Like if you had 100x users, you wouldn't necessarily have 100x more cost. You might have 5x more cost or 10x more cost because, um, you know, the entire thing is not a, it's not a variable cost. There is some fixed cost involved in terms of setting up an internet connection and all that uh, sort of stuff. So it's, it's not a one-to-one uh, relationship, but uh, I guess I guess he doesn't understand that. Hundred x from where we are right now, right? And the amount of transactions that you'd have to put through that network would just be insane. You'd be talking about like amounts of storage that no human being, no individual could afford to store. Which would mean that the centralization of the nodes would be massively increased to so maybe one to five tops users in the world which means that the government at that point could go well i mean that's i mean one to five users in the world that's pretty ridiculous like imagine if uh, bitcoin cash became 100 times the size of bitcoin today there would be walmart and there would be 
Steam and there would be Amazon and there would be Tesla and there would, I mean, Tesla are already running BTC nodes, right? And they'll be running BCH nodes in the future, I expect. And loads of major businesses, if this is the currency that all of their consumers are demanding and paying with, for them, it's, it's a no-brainer to, <coughs> to run some nodes. There's a lot of big companies in the world. So even if all of them were just running one or two nodes each, you would already have thousands, tens of thousands of nodes, right? So just uh, saying that it would only be run by one uh, person, uh, if it grows, if it grows, it gets more popular and more people will need to, there'll be more demand to run nodes, not, not the opposite. Go with a gun to one of those, to one or to the fall five and tell them that they have to shut down. And that's really what makes Bitcoin so unique compared to so many of the other cryptocurrencies out there and all the other systems that people have tried to build is the decentralization. The decentralization of the nodes is what protects the network against a state level attack. And so that's why I think it's so important. I will sacrifice everything. I will sacrifice any aspect. The, the smart contracts, fuck the smart contracts. The transaction throughput, screw the transaction throughput. It's, it's so much more important that we protect the decentralization of the network, and I will literally die to protect the decentralization of the network. I totally get that you say that this is a big war and it's so important, and I 100% agree with you, but the big war is over the decentralization. It's not over users. The users don't protect the network. The nodes do. Yeah, and, and, and we do agree on decentralization. I just don't agree with your assumption that BCH uh, can't maintain a high level of decentralization. Let me tell you what I think is going to happen. People will be running notes on their phones. Just look at the evolution of mobile chips and how powerful the latest iPhone 12 is. Wait another five to 10 years and you will have phones that are as powerful as the most powerful service that we are using today. And they will not be unaffordable. And you can basically, while you charge your phone at night and you're not using it, you can run a note. You know, I've been thinking about this for many years. I proposed uh, uh, basically an alternative internet with Meganet. You can Google my name and Google Meganet and see uh, what I've said about this in the past. And it's actually being developed right now. It's called LokiNet. An Australian company has built it. So I'm not that... Shout out to Australia. ...concerned um, about the notes. I just don't see this as a valid reason not to focus on mass adoption of crypto with, uh, with uh, you know, millions and millions of people using it for, for real-life uh, users. That is what's going to save crypto, that, in my yeah, opinion. Kim. Yeah, so, I mean, it's not... I'll let some other people jump in here if they want to politely engage in the conversation. Um, but I want to make the last point, though. It's not... I, I really don't think politeness is necessary right now because what he's been saying... Hold he's on. He's spouting lies Jimmy, for 20 Jimmy. minutes. Jimmy, it, it's very frustrating because you're not calling him out on all his lies. Well, I, and, and this is this is very frustrating for me because you basically agree I'm not, to let him speak about what like he's he's giving talking points from 2017. Jimmy, Jimmy, like this is very frustrating. Listen, if you have the ability to debate the points, then debate the points, okay? But Kim, wow. my last point is that I want to say this, and then we can we can end it here, and you can run, you can take off if you want to. Um, I appreciate you coming on. A lot of people are probably going to give me a lot of heat for this conversation, but I think it's important that we have these conversations, okay? Um, and Jimmy. So here we can see things starting to get a bit uh, uncivil uh, with regards to the BTC uh, side. I mean, there's a lot of uh, 
sort of name calling or, or whatever. I mean, Kim has been very uh, reasonable and rational and uh, logical. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's just saying it's lies and, you know, shouting at him uh, doesn't really invalidate his, his points. As his mate says, look, if you can debate the points, then why would you not just uh, debate the points? But this is typical and this is sort of why uh, one of the reasons that I've not had anybody on, you know, to debate Bitcoin on this show just yet. I hope that I will do it uh, at some time. But one point is it's very, it's difficult to find, uh, uh, you know, reasonable people to debate with because there is a large segment of the, the community for BDC that are like this, that their investment is in Bitcoin and their, you know, their ego has become wrapped up in it or, or whatever, you know, how people do when they have investments or they have things that they're passionate about. And that actually comes out with a lot of vitriol uh, when they get presented with a very reasonable, uh, logical debate, as uh, as Kim is uh, doing right here. Hey, Jimmy, and Jimmy, I would love for you to talk. I just want you to talk yeah, think, back and forth with some level of politeness, okay? I, I don't care if you think he's a scammer. That's that's aside the point. If you have the right, if you have the truth, speak the truth, okay? That's all I have to say. Well, I I don't like how you kicked everybody out. There, there's a whole group of people that would have backed you up. Listen, that like, wasn't even my idea, Jimmy. That was not my idea, okay? Yeah, but I, like the thing is, like, uh, like you basically like gave him a platform for twenty minutes to just spout his lies. I don't like that. What, what lies? Listen, it's, I don't it's, have. It's, it's, I, I think everyone who listened to me here can agree that I'm not lying. I'm just saying he has my what he point of view. In. That's all. Listen, if he, that's Ken, fine. Let's, I want to get back to no. just finishing the conversation. If, if other people can have the conversation politely, then let's have the conversation politely. Otherwise, the conversation isn't going to happen at all. Okay, so Kim, my last little, little point here is that it's not just about the storage of on whatever it is, your phone, right? It's also about the bandwidth. The amount of bandwidth that you would need to be able to process and validate these transactions is not going to be possible. You're, you're, you're saying, okay, what's the timeline? What's the timeline? Do we have 10 years, 10 years left? All right, before look. We I'm, I'm really educated about this stuff, right? So let's talk about bandwidth because I know bandwidth better than anybody. Before, Mega listen, I agree. I agree you're very wait, knowledgeable. Wait, wait, but no, I want to respond to your clear... No, no, I want to respond to your bandwidth point because that's a very important point, right? So when it comes to bandwidth, you all remember Mega Upload was about 4% of the internet. I understand bandwidth better than anybody. We now have 5G. We now have stuff like Starlink. We are going to have terabit connectivity on mobile devices, neither bandwidth nor storage are going to be a limiting factor for decentralization. I can tell you that. Okay, but, but the point is, Kim, you have a timeline here. We are running out of time. The clock is ticking. How many years do we have left? Maybe 10 at most before we really need to make this move. And that's why I see you're so desperate. I wouldn't say desperate, but you're such in a rush to get people into Bitcoin Cash. Yeah, well, it's very uh, strange that if you remember earlier in the debate, this uh, BDC supporter, he said, look, we're going to be a store of value for the next 10 or 15 years. And maybe in 20 years time, we'll try and be a medium of exchange. But then here, his point is the opposite, which is that we've only got 10 years, you know, otherwise the government's going to be all over us. It's going to be game over, right? So I don't know how his plan was to take 20 years to get to the point that everybody was actually trading, you know, Bitcoins uh, directly with each other. But then at the same time, we've only got 10 years to make it happen. And obviously, uh, I mean, his point is correct that Kim Kim is trying to 
evangelize Bitcoin Cash and spread it around. I'm trying to do that on this podcast. Uh, a lot of people are. You know, I encourage the listeners to do it without, you know, without pushing it on people. Right? If they're not interested, they're not interested. But people who are interested, talk to them about it. Trade a little bit with them. Um, you know, somewhere where you're a regular at a at a food outlet. You know, ask if you can pay in Bitcoin Cash and just show them how easy it is. Download the Bitcoin.com wallets. Send it to them. It takes you know thirty seconds, right? Um, so yeah, it's it's very it's a very strange shift in tone from well we were going to be with the banks we're going to slide under the radar in twenty years we'll become a medium of exchange somehow uh, they'll fix their fee problem which they can't fix now they'll fix it then uh, but then here we are now with oh, it's urgent and everybody needs to to be be using it today I don't think anybody disagrees with that but. Um, yeah, with Bitcoin Cash, you can use it today. That's the whole point. With Bitcoin, nobody's using it today. Well, I mean, very limited people are using it. And as Kim said before, it's increasingly uh, institutions and stuff. People are not on the street, you know, buying a $5 sandwich when it will cost them 15 or $20. But in 10 years, you're, you're essentially saying, let's move the entire planet onto Bitcoin Cash. And in the next 10 to 15 years, you're going to 100x the Bitcoin blockchain, you think a phone, you think a phone is going to be able to store like a 50 terabytes of data, of information. I just don't see that happening in the next 10 years. Moore's law would never be able to keep up with that rate of, of, of improvement. I just don't see it happening. But, you know, obviously we're going to agree to disagree. I think that, you know, we kind of come to the conclusion of the conversation. And I saw Jimmy left. I wish he would have stayed and, and had the conversation. But if you want to say one last point, because James, well, go ahead. Yeah, I would really like to say I would really like to say one last point, if I may, and then I will stay and listen because I like listening to you guys. Okay, my last point that I like to make is just for a moment, cut me some slack. You know, I'm not here to sell a scam. I'm not here to promote something that isn't working. I'm not here to undermine. Uh, Bitcoin, you know, Bitcoin is in a very good position and you guys have done an awesome job and I have absolutely no problems with you. The only thing that I see that is, is not fair is this name calling, calling me a liar, calling me a scammer, saying that I've been bought when in fact I don't even own a single BCH. You know, it's just ridiculous how tribal things have become and how uh, aggressive things have become you know i think we should we are all in the same boat we all want crypto to succeed it's okay to have competition because competition means more innovation it's going to uh, further bitcoin as well if others have great ideas and uh, you know execute on them and grow some market share and then you guys see oh we have, maybe we change something a little bit here a little bit there you know it's a good thing it's not a negative thing and i would really like us all to come back to a space where we can be friends like i'm not okay i'm gonna let you go ahead james um cam i just want to say thank you i i, I have points i could say to that but um it's been enough for me for today james did you want to say something so yeah, I mean, <laughs> shout out to Kim. He's been pretty, uh, pretty patient with getting you sort of constantly interrupted and then sort of a bit of an outburst and uh, attacked and so on and so forth. And uh, I mean, he is a very uh, reasonable and a very um, conciliatory guy. You know, he's he's trying to keep everybody productive and, and on the same page. So kudos to him to holding up to that and and also for the most part the host of this uh, as well. 
was to, you know, definitely trying to <laughs> maintain a civil discussion with a, an unruly audience. Yeah, first off, Tim, nice to meet you. First time we've ever spoken. I want to say that I actually admire what I see in you as a really intense practicality. It seems like you have, it seems like we are co-belligerents in a, a fight that we, it seems the destination we have is, is, is shared. It seems that we see two different ways of getting there. And this is just technology, right? And you seem to have adopted a different approach technology than I currently hold, for instance. And I'm, I have a couple very practical questions. So what I hear you saying when, you, when you're talking about Bitcoin Cash being good because of the big block size, to me, it almost seems to me that that is somewhat irrelevant, whether it's better or not, because it seems to me almost like uh, if you were telling me there's a better peer-to-peer -peer file sharing protocol than BitTorrent. And I would say to you, yeah, but BitTorrent is where the consensus is. There's already all this content shared on BitTorrent. And I kind of feel like the Bitcoin network, the main Bitcoin network, de facto is like that BitTorrent network. And in, in other words, it's where it, whether it's the best or not, it's where the consensus is. And just practically, how would you even go about pulling the consensus off of Bitcoin to Bitcoin Cash? That's the first question. And second question, it seems like you've had a bad experience with Lightning, but I've been seeing tons of innovation in Lightning and much, much improvements in Lightning. And I see that Bitcoin is a layer, I, I call it a layer seven protocol because it's on the layer seven of the OSI stack. It's networking for money and it's slow, but that's fine. The block size is not a problem because we can and should build layers on it like we've been doing for 30 years, which is like Lightning. For instance, we have a bot in that's one of the groups that we're in in Telegram associated with one of the, uh, one of the uh, clubhouse room. And we have a Lightning bot in there. And we've been sending each other Lightning payments and even doing crowdfunding like today. In other words, I feel like the infrastructure is being built and it just seems to me out of left field that it would be like, let's go do something else and start. A yeah. All right. Let me. Let
He pulled out his laptop and rang up the site Looked at me and said, this'll change your whole life Then he started explaining the basics to me The miners make money by taking the fee Every time a transaction is made incomplete And they work every minute and day of the week A guy named Satoshi created this all He's the mastermind of it, the brain in the ball There's a lot more to say, but before I begin Just tell me right now if you're out or you're in